enjoying, I hope, the last week of his break. He'll be back next Sunday. Um, and for those of you who don't know me, and for all of you wearing your name badges, thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Brother Tim Lucan. I'm an Anglican priest and a Franciscan monk over across the Great Divide. I'm in Newport News. Um, and for those of you who don't know, coming to church is real easy for me. It takes me about 20 minutes. When I leave here today, it's probably with the weather going to take me two hours. Um, everybody leaves their hotel in Virginia Beach at the same time, which is just as when we end service. So we all kind of bottleneck there. Let us pray. Father, I ask that your word be like the bread and the fishes and that they multiply in our hearts that I might say and give as you freely gave the bread and fishes and that the people might receive freely and let it multiply in Jesus' name, amen. So last week I preached on the demonic. A lot of people came, <laughs> a lot of people came up and said, wow, I, I hadn't heard that before. Some said it had been discussed. If you haven't heard it, I know that it's being posted up online. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because I have a lot of people who came up to me afterwards and said, what happened to the kid? So I wanna to touch base on that. For those of you who don't know, we had a young man who was a friend of a friend of mine who tried to commit suicide. We didn't understand why. Um, he started exhibiting behavior long before the suicide. He was a 15, 16 year old kid who was trying to climb in bed with his parents because he was hearing voices. That led up to this. Um, he was working at a restaurant that was a theme restaurant that actually worshiped pagan gods. And so I knew this. When I found out he was working there, I confronted it, confronted his parents. And so you know, they did what we talked about. They took authority in his life. They laid their hands on him, they anointed him, and they prayed over him. And we actually did this as a group for about a week, for about a half hour each night for about a week. And then the family decided that this was a really good thing. So now it is part of their regular family gathering routine. He's going off to JMU this year. This happened about a year and a half ago, but he's going off to JMU, his other sister's in college, and the youngest one is just now entering high school. So when all the family are brought together, they do a little check-in, what's going on, what's going on, and then the parents lay their hands on each one of them anoint them and pray for them. It's a really become a bonding experience for them. For those of you who are parents or grandparents, I'd invite you to think about that. It doesn't need to happen all the time, but at family gatherings, it would certainly be something that's warranted. So in today's reading, we read about the five loaves and the two fishes. For those of you who don't know, my full-time ministry is running Five Loaves Food Pantry over in Newport News. We've been running the pantry, or at least I have since 2009. We have been a pantry, I think, since about 1993. Um, we're not real sure on the date because the people who ran it back then are no longer around. And when I came into the food pantry, um, I had just joined Livingstone Monastery. And I was given a choice of a ministry, either the food pantry or QuickBooks. But the person who did both of them at the same time got to choose and I got what was left. 
and I got the food pantry. And the first week I went out, I came back and looked at the Abbott and said, nah, ain't happening. Not gonna happen. They don't like me, and I'm not too sure I like them. Um, they see me as the reason why they're here. There's just, it's not gonna happen. And he went, well, that's nice to hear. Go back next week. Went back next week. It was even worse than the first week. And I came back and I said, this really isn't gonna happen. And he went, good, enjoy it next week. So within two months, things started to change. I started to change, they started to change. And the ministry continued, but we grew. Um, Five Loaves Food Pantry back then had a little bit of a lunch service. We did about five families a day. And then on Tuesday nights, we had a dinner, about 40 families. Now we're doing 50 to 60 families on a day and we're doing upwards of 120 families at night. Numbers are important in our ministry because it's kind of the proof to the people that support us of what we're doing. And if you'll notice, the numbers were kind of important in today's reading as well. We had five loaves, two fishes, people divided up into groups of 50s and 100, 12 baskets were left over, and 5,000 people were, well, excuse me, 5,000 men were fed. I don't know if you've ever noticed it does specifically say men. What about the women and the children? Well, evidently they didn't count them at that point. But when we always think of this miracle, we think five loaves, two fishes, 5,000. It's probably more accurate to say probably five loaves, two fishes, and upwards of 10,000, given husbands, wives, and children that were present. That's a lot of multiplying. It's a lot of multiplying. And in our ministry, the numbers are exceedingly important. This is a flyer that's been hanging up in the fellowship hall. I'm gonna share some numbers with you. Um, I call this God math. It was a term I coined when I first started this ministry because at the end of the year, I would do all my adding up and Janie, you know what it's like when you balance your books and they don't balance and you don't know why and you keep going back and you're going, no, this can't be right. No, 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 no. Last year, we served 1,417 families. That's a single visit. With over 395, excuse me, 3,953 family members. That's just a single visit. Our people are able to come as often as they want in order to get what they need. Last year, we did over 67,000 distributions. We did it on 169 tons of food. Now, at our pricing, that's about $600,000. In the world, closer to a million eight. We had over 27,000 volunteer hours. I, I, I can't justify that. I, that's what adds up. If you paid the minimum wage, it's about $200,000 in labor. We get space from Hampton Roads Church, which is valued about $140,000. So all in-kind donations, and in-kind means it's not money given to us to purchase something. This is people of time, of food, of space, was $940,000. Wow, I, first time I saw, we're almost a million dollar ministry? Really? But last year we only got $15,000.
How did we operate on $15,000 to do a million dollar in ministry? So you go back and you re-add everything again because you can't believe it. But because of that $15,000, because we need something to pay for the gas, the vehicles, the insurance, that has to be paid for by cash. We were able to give out $38 of food for every dollar that we received. For every dollar we received, we did $59 worth of ministry. Now, I don't know anyone in here who plays the stock market or does investing like that, but tell me, if this was offered on Wall Street for every dollar you donated, you got 59 in return, would you take advantage of it? Immediately, <laughs> I think everybody in here who even doesn't play the stock market, if they got the insight on that one, would. The reason why I bring this up is because numbers are exceedingly important in our ministry, but they prove the miracle of what God does in the ministry. That's why it's God math. We cannot explain how $1 can equal $38 of food. But when you add God into it, all things are possible with God. Every year when I sit down and do this, I pray, open my heart that I might see what you have done this year so that I can represent what happened this year. Last year, we were written up in the newspaper three times. We're just a small food pantry. One of those times, folks, we made the front page above the fold. Now, for those of you who don't understand that, watch Newsies, okay? We made the front page above the fold. That's a miracle. Why is it a miracle? Because nobody got shot, nobody got killed, nobody got robbed, nothing of violence happened which would have gone above us. Now, if that's not God, I don't know what it is. And then one of my volunteers went ahead and did a little post on their community bulletin board saying we needed some help. The next day, 10, maybe 10, no, 13 news was there on our doorstep and that evening ran a three-minute news article. Now, Pete, how much would you love that exposure for the school? It just, it's God. It's not us, it's not me. It's just what God does in the ministry. If you look at this, there are two other things I wanna point out. This is a van that Casey Chevrolet gave us. We needed something bigger to accommodate the bigger amount of food, the larger amounts that we were picking up. Casey called up and said, listen, we've got a van for you. We hear what you're doing. And I went to pick it up and he says, now listen, Brother Tim, this van's got $250,000 or 250,000 miles on it. It's one of our older vans. So we know it's gonna break down. Now, first of all, we're gonna handle all of your oil and all of the repairs on this. And my heart just dropped. I was like, what? He says, well, there's gonna come a point in time when it's not worth replacing. So don't worry about that though, because we'll just get you another van. Casey Chevrolet gave us van for life. I don't even know the people. It's God. And then finally, there's this little note. We are cleaning our tables one night. 
And at the bottom it says, I was starving. And God showed me where to go. And I'm fed. And I'm very thankful. This will be hanging up in the fellowship hall. The reason why I bring this up is because God does still do miracles. As we talked last week about the demonic and oppression, it's just as important for us to remember the miracles in our life. Now, I could try to explain this away, but that devalues what he's done for us, what he's done for his family. Here's the thing. God is in control. Now, I hate hearing that on the radio station these days because we mean two different things. They often mean that God's in control. No matter what's going on, God's in control. I happen to believe in the power of the demonic. I happen to believe that we're in spiritual warfare. So God is in control if I give God control. If I don't give him control, he's not in control. And like we said last week, if we're a living sacrifice on the altar, we have to stop pulling ourselves off. We need to let him be in control. Here's another miracle of five loaves. We have over 15 partner churches. I wrote them down. I think I don't have them all. Church of God, Denby Church of Christian Church, Huntington Mennonite. We have four non-denominational churches, a Catholic, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, two Mormon, two Southern Baptists, an independent Bible-believing King James, if you don't read the King James version of the Bible, you're damned to going to hell church. And they're all being led by this fat, balding Franciscan. And we get phone calls from all across the country who say, we hear what you're doing, how are you doing it? And my answer is, I'm not, God is. Are you letting God be in control? See, the thing is, is all of our churches know that we do one thing. We feed the hungry. Back in 2010, the food bank came to us and said, you know, it's been about 20 years since you guys have updated your uh, records with us. Why don't you revisit it? And one of the things you have to do in any ministry is identify who are you going to serve. Now, one of the lessons I teach the kids who do internships with me is when you define what something is, you also say what it is not. In today's society, that may not be true, but it still is in mine. If it's a boy, it's not a girl. If you're old, you're not young. So when we went through to decide who we were going to minister to, we knew who we wanted to minister to, but we couldn't define it. Well, we want to minister people in Newport News. Well, what about people not from Newport News? Do we turn them away? How do we know they're from Newport News? Well, we ask for an ID. How many homeless do you know they have an ID? We racked for three months trying to figure out what to do. And finally, this 12-year-old kid who'd been with us for four months, he came with his church on a retreat once, and he came every week thereafter until he graduated high school. At 16, he could run this entire ministry. 
But he spoke up that day and he said, Brother Tim, can't we just say we feed the hungry? Kids, you know what that means. The microphone was just dropped. I mean, there was nothing else to say after that. So that became our motto, to feed the hungry. But see, we didn't realize that the hungry we thought were food. We found out that it wasn't just food. It was spiritual hunger. It was people who truly needed to be fed, not just physical food but spiritual food. And so all of our churches know we do one thing. We feed the hungry. That's it, nothing else. Because see, the problem is, so many times churches do ministries like this, not because they wanna feed the hungry, but because we need to get more people in the pews. Or my favorite one, we're in need of more tithes. Have you looked at the people I take care of? I often tell people, when you do this ministry, you're gonna give money out. You're not gonna bring money in. You'll bring blessings in. But these churches do it in many instances for one big reason, pride. Look at what we're doing. Our church does this on Sunday and our church does this on Tuesday and we've got a pantry and we've got a food closet and we do and we do and we do. I've made sure that all of our people know we don't do anything. God does. Because the moment we say we did, he no longer does. The moment we say we did, we begin relying on ourselves and not on God. About four years ago, one of our oldest partner churches, it was a KJV, Bible-believing church, used to be right across the street from the monastery. They changed their minister. Their current minister retired after 50 years. He gave me a call and said, Brother Tim, I think bad things are coming down the pike for you. I feel it in my spirit, but I've done everything I can with my church. I've preached about your ministry now two full Sundays. I hope they listen to God. Three weeks later, I get this letter in the mail from that church that says, can you please tell us what your opinions or teachings are on tribulation? Can you tell us which is the authoritative word of God. Can you, and it went through all these doctrinal differences. And I just said, none of this applies, we feed the hungry, shipped it back. Wasn't about to play the game. Now I knew what they were doing and I don't fault them. They were trying to cut back on the amount of money that was going out and they wanted it to be in alignment with what they were doing. But we don't teach doctrine, we feed the hungry. I got the forms back that said, if you wish to remain a missionary, you will complete these forms. We feed the hungry, we feed the hungry, we feed the hungry every single spot. And I shipped it back. And then I called 
and I put him on speakerphone with one of our major volunteers at the time, and I was speaking to this guy, and he explained why they were doing it, and I knew exactly why. And he says, so what exactly is your ministry? And I said, well, we feed God's children. And he said, oh, you must not read the Bible. Now, folks, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. There's not much that really gets my goat, but telling me that I don't read the Bible has gotta be up in the top five. So I said to him, I said, well, let me rephrase what I'm saying. We feed God's children, those who were created and formed by God before the foundation of the world that he knew and called into being and gave them a destiny before they were even out of their mother's womb as opposed to the children of God, which are those saved and elect that are destined to go to heaven. Oh, well, we believe they should be saved before they get fed. Thank you very much, Pastor. It was a pleasure speaking with you. I'm sorry that we must end our ways. And I hung up. They must be saved before they get fed. Now let's revisit Mark here for just a second, okay? We've got these crowds all over the hills. They're split up in 50s and 100s and they're hungry and Lord, what are we gonna do? Well, first of all, I want you to find out those who think I'm the Messiah. And if they think I'm the Messiah, oh, well, I guess it's just me. I'll have a nice banquet with five loaves and two fishes over here because none of these others recognized him yet. Could you imagine? That's not my God. Because of that, that pastor who retired went to another church in Pennsylvania. We are now supported by a church in Pennsylvania. They've never been down. They got a letter. And as their pastor said, we're sorry our brethren did this to you, but we believe in the work you are doing. We will support it. It will not go away. Because God is in control. We're a ministry. A lot of places say that. I don't think they understand it. Normally they say ministry and they're combining that with a 501c3, meaning we're a nonprofit. Five Loaves is truly a ministry. Call me at two o'clock in the morning and you'll see I answer the phone. It could be the police of any city, even Virginia Beach, who is calling me because they have a woman who is pregnant who is a victim of sex trafficking and it's raining and they have no place to take her because she was so indoctrinated in sex trafficking that she was recruiting other women from the ministries. Um, can you ask, uh, why are you calling me from Virginia Beach? Well, we've called four other places and all four of them gave us your name. Okay. Tell you what, can I call you back in about five minutes? Climb out of bed, fall on my knees, and I cry. God, what am I supposed to do at two o'clock on a Saturday morning? How, why, no, I don't. But you're in control, okay? What would I do if it was Monday during the day? Well, nobody I know. I managed to get through 
to one resource out in Williamsburg who would take her because she was not affiliated with anyone out there. In fact, they even called somebody who drove all the way to Virginia Beach to bring her out into Williamsburg. She has since relocated to another state in another location and is doing well, and the baby is also doing well. God is in control. When you go to the pantry and a woman walks in and you say, can I help you? Do you need some food? She says, no, I want Brother Tim. And I'm like, that's me. She says, would you pray for me? Sure. What's going on? What's the situation? Well, I woke up this morning to a knock on my front door and it was my great-grandson and my great-granddaughter and great-grandson and he had a card for me and it was from my granddaughter who said, I'm going to jail for 10 years, I'll be back to pick up the kids then. I don't know what to do, I'm 78. I live on a fixed income. My other kids are in jail too. I really went wrong somewhere and I don't know what to do and I'm afraid I'm gonna mess up their lives. And I went to social services and social services said they're gonna call Child Protective and get them taken away from me because I don't have a social security card. I don't have their birth certificates. I don't have legal paperwork to say they're mine and this letter means nothing to them. So I ran and when I went outside, there was this homeless person who said, you look like you need prayer. And I went, yes, one of my homeless was gonna pray for somebody. And she said, and they said, go right around that corner in that first store and Brother Tim will take care of it. I said, well, let's pray. So we did. We got our food needs taken care of. I met the kids. They started coming regularly on Tuesday night. I have a family. That's what I tell them. My tattoo says a member of every family yet belongs to none. Because everyone is my family. They are my ministry. And these kids are doing well in school. And about a year ago, she came up to me and she said, Brother Tim, I turn 80 this year. I'm not going to make another eight years. Do you think that you know? Uh-oh. Mm -mm. I think I know where this is going, and, and I can't. But I will walk through this journey with you. Let's get together in a week. And I leave and I get on my knees and I cry again. God, what am I supposed to do with three great grandkids that have no family? Found out she wasn't going to a church and I happened to know a family who wanted to foster. So I talked to the foster family. These kids and great grandmother now have a new home church and they have foster parents who are going to take care of them when grandma dies. They actually get together every other weekend as a combined family to start the relationship. And mom has already filled out the paperwork and given the family authority over her children until she is released. That's God. That's God in control. That's not me. A number of years ago, we're getting ready, we're looking at building a monastery because our old monastery was sold. A lot of you have been there before. I prayed and I pray and every year it's like, okay, is this all I'm gonna do? 
Two years ago, I had an opportunity to run a major nonprofit, and I prayed and said, God, is this what you want me to do? Because, man, that's a nice salary. It beats my 15000 a year by about six times over. And God went, no. I want you to write a letter. So I wrote a letter to a gentleman who owns some land across the street from where we are, and I said, listen, I don't know what you plan on doing with your land, but... Uh, we could kind of use it to build a monastery if you uh, might be interested that way. I got a phone call on a Tuesday morning as I'm doing a pickup from Little Caesars from a gentleman that says, I'm on my way to Haiti on a mission trip and I saw this letter addressed to my dad and I've talked to my sisters and we think that this would be perfect for the land. We'd like to make a donation. 15 and a half acres valued at $980,000. Donated. We're not only a million dollar ministry, now we got a million dollars of land, of which I might add, 14 and a half acres is useless to the rest of the world. But to us, it's wooded nature with a stream where our people in the monastery can walk and talk and be still and know that he is God. We get the land, six months after the donation, I get a tax bill for $7,000. I'm like, whoa, 501c3. And they went, no, you're not doing anything with it. I said, but I can't do anything with it because the Chesapeake Bay Preservation Act prohibits me from doing it. Well, we'll have to look into this. So they looked into it. And in May of this year, I got my tax bill for $14,000 at this point, and I said, guys, that we're working on it. I said, okay, I just don't want people to see that we're not paying our taxes. It was the hardest battle I ever had to fight because all I could do was stand. Remember Ephesians 6 last week? I didn't need to make phone calls. I wanted to make phone calls. I wanted to pull in the people I knew. I wanted to drop names. I wanted to do a lot, but I knew that all I needed to do was stand and let God be in control. And two weeks ago, they came out, looked at the land and said, we're getting rid of all your tax bills, you're fine. No more taxes on anything you do. That's a miracle. $14,000 a city wrote off. That's a miracle. Last week, we met with the preliminary ban plans for our building, and the only thing that came out of it was we need the road to be 20 feet wide. And I went, yeah, but there's kind of a historical wall here. It's a red brick wall. You know, Williamsburg's real famous for this. That was built in 1880 on that side. And on this side, it was built in 1870. So if you'd like, I'll tell the city to knock the walls down so we can get your 20. No, 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 that's okay. We've been given the go ahead on our building plans. Because God is in control we now work directly after I met with the city two years ago, the assistant city manager said, you know, Brother Tim, if you really want to be successful at this, you need to join this committee and you need to be in part of this. And I went, uh-uh, I had enough on my plate. A year later, I'm sitting on the leadership of both committees. It wasn't my idea, it was his. I had no idea. But now because of that, last year we housed 12 units of homelessness. That's families and individuals. And to this day, a year and a half later, we have a 100% retention rate, which has not been equaled anywhere in the Hampton Roads area. And why? Because God's in control. 
We see these people on a regular basis. We have a relationship with these people. We interact with them in ways that no case manager can. HUD has reached out to us and said they'd like to send somebody down to interview our people to find out why we are so successful. I told them there's really no interest, no need to come down, I can tell you. God's in control. HUD doesn't like that answer. So they're still sending somebody down. My point to you is in this, I cannot run Five Loaves Food Pantry in any way, shape, or form. We have grown so fast, so far. The enemy has attacked on all sides. In fact, last week I posted up on my Facebook, hey, prayers, I'm under major attack. I had 170 people respond back within 12 hours were praying. It's the most I've ever had a response to anything. God has to be in control. My question for you is, is, is he in control of your life? Is he in control of your ministry? Your ministry may be your family. Your ministry may be your business. Is God in control? Do you have children that are going off the deep edge? And you keep saying, God, I need you to work in their life, but then you keep putting your hands back in it in trying to fix it yourself. We were kicked out of the monastery in 2013. It's 2018, five years, and I still don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I think I know where God wants us to go. They said at the planning meeting, when do you expect this building to be built? I don't know, but he does. We have to be patient. We are in a spiritual battle. And we must do one thing. Stand firm and remember God is in control if we let him. Let us pray. Father, I thank you.